As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Dream Power Radio, the place where your dreams turn into reality. Here is your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, the Dream Coach. This is a show where we talk about dreams, both daytime and nighttime dreams, and how you can use them to make the internal shift to a life you love. Why does it always seem that it comes down to the mothers to provide the guidance and healing in our lives? Well, of course, we mothers are there from the beginning, from breathing life into our infants and raising them to be healthy and productive adults. But who's there to mother the mothers? How do they get help and support when it's needed? How do they maintain their own sense of self when their time is spent being taking care of others? We're going to discuss these issues and more with my guest, psychotherapist, author, and speaker, Dr. Patty Ashley. Welcome to Dream Power Radio, Patty. Hi, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Patty, we're all living in a crisis that most of us have never seen in our lifetimes. As a mother myself, I know that my first concern is keeping my children safe, even though now they're all grown up and living on their own. But there are a lot of mothers out there with young children. How are they supposed to handle both the physical and mental health of our children now? Big question, isn't it? I know my children are all grown as well, and they're all in their 30s, and I have three grandchildren, and my daughter has two children, seven and three, and my other daughter has one who's eight. And one daughter's a psychologist, the other one's a mindfulness education teacher. So they have skills, they have tools, and they know that you know sometimes kids just drive us a little nutty. Um, my concern is people who are home with the kids and, and haven't really learned a lot of the new child development information, a lot of how we can tune in with our kids, a lot of knowing how to express our emotions and our feelings. And I think it's a huge learning curve for all of us. So in answer, I guess the, the bullet point answer, the question is all feelings are okay, but all behavior isn't. It's one of my favorite lines. Um, I think back in the day, we just, we know now with research, finally, we're the only species that has to research itself to know how to get along with each other. 
But we know that we have this emotional self that needs expression, whether that whether it's a, a belly laugh or a temper tantrum, it's all an expression of self. And the olden days, which weren't that long ago, actually, um, it was stop crying before I give you something to cry about. You should be ashamed of yourself. Don't be angry. Don't be jealous. Don't be this. Don't be that. And so we we had to kind of repress this emotional part of ourselves and actually developed a sense of shame around it. So now as parents, if we hadn't, if we didn't have parents who were able to identify our feelings and help us manage them, we don't know what to do with them. So when our kiddos act out, we want to, we want to try and control their behavior instead of acknowledging your feeling. I know you're really, it's really, you're having a really hard time. You're really missing your friends. I get that. And instead of saying, well, just get over it. This is what we got to do kind of thing, which is the old school. So maybe a long answer to your question, but hopefully that was helpful. All feelings are okay, but all behavior isn't. And that doesn't mean we let our kids run wild either. We let them know that you know it's not okay to hurt other, other people because they're angry. Um, they can do productive things with their anger, such as beat a pillow or stomp their feet. Um, but not to hit or hurt or push. Well, I tell you, Patty, as all, if all of that isn't enough, mothers are now also supposed to act as teachers for their homebound children. How are they supposed to handle this in a way that's helpful to their children and not driving themselves crazy? Another really good question. And so my daughter was saying that her seven-year-old gets up in the morning, gets right on the computer and gets all of her lessons done before my daughter even has her coffee. So, and then my daughter has to work because she's a school psychologist. So she has to work and homeschool at home with the three-year-old who's running around. And yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I think our edges are being pushed in a lot of ways, especially like I was saying earlier, if we don't understand child development, we don't, under, we, don't, we don't know how to homeschool. We don't know how to do these things. There's so many things we have to learn as a mom and, and as a dad. Um, I love watching Jimmy Fallon lately because he's home doing his show with his little girls. <laughs> it's so cute. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's just precious. So they're like climbing on his shoulders and putting Play-Doh on his nose. And, and he's letting them kind of be part of the show. And so I guess in answer to your question, I feel like schools in general have been too focused on academics anyway. This whole idea of achieving and ABCs and one, two, threes and getting into Ivy League schools, I don't think really supports our emotional, social, emotional development. So we get to be home and interact with our kids. So we start with the social emotional development, like I was saying earlier, all feelings are okay, but all behavior isn't. And you know, one of my clients yesterday was saying, cooking, cooking with our kiddos is learning. We're, that's, I have a background in early childhood education and special education, and that's what we call whole language, which I think is the most effective form of education anyway. So we're doing real life and our kids are learning. So I think we can't get so wound up in the modules, in the school modules. We'll figure all that, parents will figure all that out because it's, it's new, we're all learning it. I think being able to, to realize that kids are learning by being in relationship with you. And we're all learning how to do relationship in a different way. So to me, I think that there's so much more important, that's just my bias, there's a much important learning in being together in relationship with each other. 
So the schoolwork, we'll figure it all out. Well, you know how sometimes people say, you know, they, they ask a question that they really <laughs> want to know the answer to, but they don't want you to let you know that it's for themselves. So they say, I'm asking for a friend. So I'm asking for a friend, but it's actually for me because I've got two grandchildren and one of them is a six years old and he's been pretty good about, you know, doing this homeschool that my daughter set up for him. You know, he's got a packet of work to do from the teacher. He's in kindergarten. So it's, you know, just, it's sheets to do and activities. And, and he likes it because he liked going to school. He liked being in kindergarten. My three and a half year old granddaughter who was in preschool is just, a, she doesn't want to sit down and do anything. I mean, she, she won't, except maybe play, do Play-Doh. So is it okay for her to spend all day playing Play-Doh? Well, in my version of that waking dream, yes. Because <laughs> my projection is that's so important. I don't think, I mean, three-year-olds, yeah, I have a lot of my own personal beliefs about this. I don't think we want to push kids into anything. Kids intrinsically are wired to learn. So we have to provide a safe environment. And if Play-Doh feels safe right now, not going to miss anything in terms of academic development. It, it, it's, yeah, uh, eventually he, did you say it was a he? Boy? Uh, my th three-year-old's a girl. <laughs> oh, girl, sorry. She's going to, um, she's going to get tired of the Play-Doh, honestly. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like let kids evolve on their, in their, on their own pace. They're curious. Curiosity is the most important thing, really. If you think about curiosity, kids are, kids are just curious, right? Especially three-year-olds are always saying, what's that? What's this? Why this? Why that? You know? And so how much are we teaching our kids just by being present with them? Um, so that's my two cents about the Play-Doh is fine. Why not? Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you about uh, the actual uh, pandemic itself. Um, you know, the kids are at home, certainly where I am and where a lot of people are, they're actually forced to be at home right now. How much do you tell children about the realities of what's going on out there? That's a good question too. Um, well, up until the age of seven and eight, we know that kids' brains don't work the same way as grown-up brains. They can't tell fantasy from reality, which is why they believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and that sort of thing. So we have to understand that kids under set, under seven or eight, it it's just another day, and they don't really understand. So we don't want to give them too much information, but we want to give them enough information. So I, I did ask my daughter that. I said, "What are you telling um, Olivia?" And she said. Well, we're saying that it's like there's a really bad cold, like when people get sick, that is happening. And we're all just staying home for a while so that we don't catch it. And, and that's really enough. And then if they have questions, you can answer questions because you want to give kids information, but you don't want to overload and scare them. You don't want to go too far into the paranoia around it because that's going to create fear. We always want to help our kiddos feel safe. And this is always the tricky part, right? When the world doesn't feel safe and we don't feel safe, how do we help our kids feel safe? But that's the most important thing that they need right now. So, you know, we're all fine here. We're gonna, we're gonna get through this together. It's gonna feel like, it's gonna feel different, it's gonna feel weird. And then move into the curiosity. Let them, you know, talk about what they're experiencing. I asked my granddaughter on Skype and, she said, oh, yeah, whatever, and she went and played. <laughs> it's like, it's just another day, you know. Kids are more resilient, I think, than we realize, but I do think we have to give them 
the facts without scaring them mm-hmm. and developmentally appropriate. So when you pass eight, seven or eight, and their brains start developing differently and they want a little bit more concrete information, again, you can give them more concrete information. They're going to be seeing it on the internet. They're going to be seeing it on the news. They're going to be frightened by that little ball with the little spiky things in it, trying to understand. And you just, you know, simple facts and we're safe. We're going to do everything we can to be safe and we're going to get through this. You know, it's happened before. Um, People have had situations where they've had to stay home for a while um, and we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Very good. That brings me to another point, which is because they're home, you know, the temptation is to have them watch TV or be on the computer or do all kinds of stuff. But there are things online or things to watch on TV that are, you know, for lack of a better word, educational. So where do you draw the line into how much you allow them to be looking at a screen each day? Well, it's interesting because what I was thinking about is, you know, we've been working on minimizing screen time and now it's, it's all screen time. And so I'm wondering if our kids are going to satiate on screen time by the end of this, or if we're going to have a hard time pulling them away from screen time. So I'm looking, you know, down the road with that question as well, because it's interesting. So I think, I think it's really important. Here's the thing. The client She's a high school kiddo yesterday, and I said, what are you doing? And she says, you know, during the day while you're home, because it's spring break here, so the kiddos that aren't even doing um, schoolwork this week. And she said, well, I'm watching a lot of Netflix. I'm watching TV with my parents. I'm watching TV. I'm like, and she's an artist. Her mother's an artist. I said, are you painting with your mom? Well, no, not really. And I said, well, she might like that. Well, I don't know. She just says she's going to the basement. Now, she's a real artist, like, in gallery artist, right? So she's got the whole studio set up. And my client that I was talking to is also very creative and artistic. So I encourage people to step into whatever form of creative expression they might be drawn to or interested in. Writing, dancing, music, art, Let's encourage our kiddos to do that. Let's do it with our kiddos because we actually know that it helps heal some of the right brain trauma from early, earlier experiences and generational trauma too that we know we're all holding in our cellular memory. Calms the nervous system and it's going to help us get through. So I think we need to do the screen time like we're doing here to connect and talk to people and have conversations outside of our home and to do school and that sort of thing. But let's turn it off and get creative. Mm-hmm. Good, good point there. Uh, I want to turn away from the children and get back to the mothers, uh, because here you know, they're now being loaded with all these new things on top of everything else they've had to deal with in the first place, whether they're working mothers or stay-at-home mothers. How does a woman maintain her sense of self when having to deal with everything else going on? I wrote a book called Living in the Shadow of the Two Good Mother Archetype, and that came out six years ago based on my doctoral dissertation because I had been a parent educator, um, a mom, and uh, later a psychotherapist, and was noticing that there was this familiar story with women of not being good enough and not being able to get it right, and everybody else can figure it out, but I can't. So I interviewed some women, I came up with some themes, and one of the most important themes is to remember the oxygen mask. 
because when you fly on an airplane, the flight attendant tells you to be sure to put your own oxygen mask on before you help young children. So it's a really good metaphor to keep in mind when we're feeling depleted. And I think what happens with women, because we're biologically wired to keep our baby safe, and we go into overtime. And to find support systems so that we can refuel and get on our oxygen mask, you know, our partners can help. You know, when we're home, it, gosh, you know, the worst case scenario would be a single mom who's home with the kids and has no support at all. But when the kids are in bed, take a bath, light some candles, do something to refuel, come into some mindfulness meditation, do creative arts with your kids. So do something that helps you get out of the worry mind and the doing, 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 which puts our nervous system in overdrive. And, and pay attention to refueling ourselves. I, before the isolation or social distancing um, quarantine experience, I used to highly encourage moms to take at least an hour, that's minimal, uh, preferably a half a day or even a day where they can have some time for themselves to come back and regroup. So that's one thing. That's one of the themes that came up in the research. And I think that's the most important right now. And also, I'll tell you one of the other things is the paradox of parenting. I think we live in a culture that wants to split things and make them either all good or all bad. And if it's not um, good, it must be bad. When the truth is we live in a duality, we live, darkness defines the light. So we wouldn't have day without night. So parenting, I discovered early on was very much a paradox of they are so cute. I especially love the three-year-olds. I think they're so cute, three and four my favorite age. I was having so much fun listening to the things that they say and the way they're learning about the world. And then I would be exhausted and kind of, oh my gosh, I have to break up another fight <laughs> with the two of them. Cause I have, I have Irish twins um, in the middle that are 18 months apart. And so um, it's hard. And I think we want the media images want us to look at it as, oh, it's such a blessing. We have these beautiful kids. All that's true. And it's also hard. And I don't think we really address that well in the media. I mean, the movie Bad Moms was an example of how they tried to portray that, but they portrayed it in a really satirical way that doesn't really get to what we're talking about here. I think learning to embrace paradox is incredibly important in terms of being a parent. And then we can lighten up on ourselves and go, oh gosh, oh, it was, here's another day of both and you know? Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, we're going to talk more about this, but we're going to take a short break now. We are speaking with psychotherapist, author, and speaker, Patty Ashley, and we'll be right back. What do Thomas Jefferson, Elias Howe, and Paul McCartney have in common? They all understood the value of dreams. And as a result, the ideas, inventions, and creations from their dreams affect us to this day. What great ideas are you leaving on your pillow at night? Sign up for a complimentary consultation at my website, thedreamcoach.net, and discover why your dreams are a terrible thing to waste. Welcome back to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. Yes, and welcome back to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman, and we're speaking with psychotherapist and author, Dr. Patty Ashley. Patty, it's easy to say, you know, mothers are, are 
constantly under stress. And it's easy to say that they could do things like self-medicate through alcohol and drugs. And right now I'm seeing a lot of memes on social media about the shortage of wine in, in times like these. Well, of course, I'm not advocating that people get drunk and there are a lot of drunk mothers out there. Uh, but seriously, what are healthy ways that women can cope with the stresses that they're feeling? And I think that's one of the things in the movie Bad Moms that I was mentioning, you know, they use that as a way to cope. They, so they drink and they have wild parties. And, you know, I'm not encouraging that. Um, <laughs> there was on the news here a couple of days ago when the mayor of Denver put everybody on quarantine um, that was going to be happening like 24 hours later, there were lines around the liquor stores and the dispensaries. And so he changed his mind and decided to keep them open. <laughs> so, I mean, that just speaks to the level of how people are, are wanting to numb out and anesthetize some of the fear. And so it's so easy to reach for that glass of wine. And I think the thing that really hurts my heart a lot is this is what we see a lot around mothering. You know, we'll talk, when, it, when we get into the conversation about how hard it is, the paradoxes I was saying earlier, it's about, well, let's have wine. You know, I had a, a um, agent, publishing agent that I was talking to about publishing the first book, and he said, well, you know, people don't want to talk about the shadow. People don't want to talk about, um, you know, the darkness of parenting. You know, I know this woman who created a website called Mommy Likes Vodka, and she doesn't even drink vodka, but it's funny. And I said, I'm not, this isn't funny. This is serious. This is the shadow material of all the unconscious feelings, like I was saying earlier, that we were talked out of. Don't be sad. Don't be angry. And now we're trapped in our homes with the people that we're the closest to. They're usually the ones that are the most difficult to navigate uh, deep emotional selves and reveal our shadow. Carl Jung talked about the shadow as the repressed parts of ourselves that we fear are bad. So back to the paradox of good and bad, we are really afraid of our own shadows, but yet it's the shadow that holds the information we need to move into more wholeness. So I don't encourage drinking and smoking marijuana a lot, maybe an occasional glass of, of wine is okay. But when it, we move into the area of I've got to have it in order to cope, then we're really not dealing with some of this material that's coming up. And this is an opportunity to reach out to people like myself and like you and other people in the helping professions. People are really showing up a lot online. I'm going to be doing a course coming up from Fear to Love to Grace um, that I'm offering. I'm doing daily mindfulness meditations. I highly recommend a mindfulness meditation and my meditations are only five to 10 minutes long. If you sign up on my mailing list, you'll get them in your email box every morning. It's helping me as well. So we have to find some other tools other than uh, alcohol and, and marijuana for sure. Um, Cause yeah, it, it's triggering so many emotions that we don't have a lot of awareness on how to deal with them. And so that's, that's a big learning curve for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so far we've been talking about the mothers, we've been talking about the children, but there's somebody else involved, the father. And we're assuming we're talking about, you know, a family that, where the father is living in the family. How can a woman maintain a healthy sense of family in dealing with a crisis with, with the husband? Oh, you are asking such great questions. Um, in my research, one of the things that came up 
quite a few times with the moms I talked to was they couldn't do it without their partners. So you're right. A lot of times now we're in, um, you know, same sex relationships or, you know, transgender relationships. So it's not necessarily the dad, but having that partner is so important. I know um, a friend of one of my clients just decided to do in vitro um, without a partner. And so she's going over to my friend's house there, there so to support her with a new baby, but she's home alone. And it's so hard to parent, especially if you have more than one, like your twins or something, it's so hard to parent on our own. We really, really does take a village. And so we speak gender and we speak about dads because that is, I, I would, I guess, I don't know the statistics, but I guess the majority of, you know, heterosexual relationships, partners having children still, um, men are having to catch up to a lot of new um, aspects of the role of father. And I think if you think of mothering and fathering as a verb, mothering would indicate more of the nurturing, nesting, connection, feeling. Fathering would be the protector, the structure, the breadwinner as it used to be, not so much anymore. But um, are those roles are kind of overlapping. Women are working, men are, are, are staying home more and doing more of the mothering. Mothering are doing mother mothers are doing more of the fathering. So we're both trying to to readjust to what it really means to be present to our kiddos. And I think kids need both. They need both the mothering and the fathering. They need the structure and they need the emotional flow and, and creativity and nurturing, but they also need the structure and protection that is traditionally, you know, a fathering aspect. So dads have a lot to learn, but so do we. I mean, we're all, we're all learning this. This is why I say it's all brand new, hot off the press, all of these new ways of being in relationship and understanding our emotional self. Mm-hmm. And we're having opportunities to be in a intensive, um, what is it called? Um, when you have to cram for an exam or something, <laughs> intense, intensive learning experience of how to do it. Yeah, and, and we are all works in progress in that sense. Um, speaking of which, a few years ago, I co-wrote a book on parenting with Betsy Chassie called It Came Out of My Vagina, Now What? Which obviously was a humorous look at parenting. Uh, but we did touch on some serious subjects. And, and one of them was the one upsmanship that a lot of mothers have with their peers, you know, the, the my kid is better than your kid syndrome. How does a mother deal with this in a productive way? Yeah, because here's what happens. Judgment was one of the things that came up. Unrealistic expectations, judgment, and and judgment was one of the themes that seemed to occur. And basically, if you look at judgment, judging other mothers is is a projection. You as a dream worker, I don't know if you do projective dream work like Jeremy Taylor, um, but we, what we see in another person is, is actually an aspect of ourselves. So when we look at moms judging other moms, it's their own fear of their own shadow of not being a good enough mom. We really, you know, it's rampant out there. You know, it used to be, and it still is, but when I was raising my kiddos in the eighties, women were just starting to go to work. So there was the big war around stay at home moms and working moms and everybody wanted to judge which was better than the other. And, you know, it's not about judging another person's experience. It's about honoring 
the fact that we're trying to learn how to do something in a way that's never been done before. And we really need to come together and support each other in whatever choices we make and recognize our own fear of not being good enough that's being projected onto someone else when we're judging how they're, they're parenting their kiddos. Mm -hmm. It is so true. And I tell you, you know, I raised my children that same era. And when I wrote this book, you know, my, my thesis was don't do what I did because I did everything wrong. Except the one thing that I did do right was I loved my children and they grew up, they, they, they're not ax murderers, you know, they're productive people. So, you know, something was right, even through all the mistakes, because now with it, what I know now makes me realize, you know, there are things I would have done differently. I think a lot of people can say that. Turning to another subject, uh, one that is also very relevant today is the care and safety of our medical workers, uh, because they are under enormous stress, uh, because they not only have to worry about the health of their patients, but they actually have to worry about their own health, which usually isn't a factor. And I know that you counsel health workers, so what are you telling them now? Well, it's PTSD. They're on the front lines. Um, I have a couple that I'm working with, and the, um, the man is a, um, a nurse anesthesiologist, and he was having a PTSD response because his wife wanted to give his baby some Tylenol. And he said, you're going to, you're going to kill. You didn't say he was going to kill you. You're going to don't, you're going to hurt my child. And she's like, why is he reacting this way? I said, it's a PTSD response. He's in the front lines every day. It's very much like being in a war. It, it breaks my heart to think about. And, and the courage of these people who go into the places every day where this disease is rampant and they risk their lives very much like, being on the front lines in a war. So we have to really, again, go back to the mindfulness, take care of ourselves, refuel after work, find things that help us uh, recharge and relax, breathe, recognize that the PTSD response, PTSD response is, a, is happening in the body memory. And so sometimes it's not, our frontal lobe goes offline and we don't know um, how to, and that's what she said about her husband doing that. She says, well, I just want him to, to not do that. I said, well, let's give it some time, you know, because sometimes it's hard when we, when we go into a PTSD response to regulate our nervous system and know that, that nothing bad is happening. And that, that's what we've learned from studying PTSD, uh, particularly, you know, that started after the Vietnam War, that the, the way people were acting once they were home was as if they were still there. And so that's the good news, bad news, is the good news is we know that now, how that's set up neurobiologically. So it gives us kind of a chance to go, oh, okay, now I understand this. What do I do about it? And I think it's so important to every day have some sort of mindfulness practice. It doesn't have to be fancy or big. It just means I'm going to sit and I'm going to breathe and I'm going to um, allow myself to feel a sense of safety in the present moment. There's apps out there, um, mindfulness apps you can find on your phone and you can plug them in and listen to. Um, and again, like I said, I'm sending it on every day to my clients, but I think we have to come back into having a moment of feeling body safety to help recharge um, the nervous system. Mm. Patty, you know, this time has gone by so fast, so I just have time for one final question. 
which is how can people find out more about you and about your books and about your work? Yeah, thank you. www.pattyashley.com. And I spell my name with an I, P-A-T-T-I-A-S-H-L-E-Y. Um, you can go to my website. There's a pop-up box to sign up for my newsletter. You also get a couple handouts on anger and problem solving when you sign up. I am hopefully in the next few days going to have some information on my um, course, Transforming Fear into Love and Grace. It's the four-week series that I'm going to offer to people to understand more of this neurobiology of fear. Um, and I also do individual. I'm doing, obviously, working online now. If people need support, I can do online um, sessions with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Patty, for being on our program today. We've been speaking with author and psychotherapist, Dr. Patty Ashley, about the powerful roles mothers play in our lives. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Until next time, this is Debbie Spector-Weissman saying, sweet dreams, everybody. You've been listening to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. For more information on Debbie or to sign up for her newsletter, go to dreampowerradio.com. This has been Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.